0: Last night, I talked about the second of the four Brahma Vihara qualities, which is karuna or compassion. The capacity to turn towards suffering with metta or kindness, and where possible, to help that suffering release. So coming back briefly to the relationship between metta and karuna, because sometimes people ask, well, what's the difference Metta is really the foundation for all of the Brahma-Vihara practices, and it's kind of a generic form of goodwill, just generalized friendliness and kindness. And then when this general goodwill turns towards pain, stress, distress, it flowers as compassion. So compassion has a, a very specific orientation towards pain, whereas metta is a more general a uh, sense of well-wishing. And in the quote from Caroline Jones and Paul Burroughs that I read a few nights ago about the, uh, the Brahma Vihara's four flavors of love, you might remember that each of these qualities has what are known as the near and the far enemies. So the far enemy is the direct opposite of the quality we're trying to develop. So with compassion, the far enemy is cruelty, Instead of the motivation to relieve suffering, it's the opposite. It's the motivation to add to someone's pain, which, because of the law of karma, will end up hurting us too. So that's quite clearly an afflictive state that we want to try and stay out of. The near enemy of compassion, there's a couple of them, one is pity and one is grief. So pity at first glance might seem like it's in the terrain of compassion. But if we investigate it more closely, we might see that energetically there's a kind of a distancing or a separation or even a superiority to it. Oh, poor you suffering over there with a subtext. I'm glad it's not me. And if we do recognize this kind of disconnection, we might need to re-establish the foundation of metta or kindness and warmth again before we then tune into compassion. Or if we're working with the sequence of people and we find pity coming up, we might need to move back to someone where more genuine uh, compassion comes up. And this is not cheating, Because with all of these Brahma-Vihara practices, we're really encouraged to start where they come most easily and naturally, and then gradually build up that Brahma-Vihara muscle until we're able to offer it to a whole range of different people. So this is a whole lifetime of practice. It's not like by the end of a nine-day retreat, you'll be ready to offer compassion to your worst enemy or appreciative joy to the person you can't stand and so on. Let this, think of this as a lifetime of training. A second challenge when practicing compassion is that because we're coming directly into contact with pain and suffering, it can be easy to fall fall into sorrow or grief. As I mentioned last night, compassion is sometimes misunderstood as empathy, as being just about feeling with the other person's pain as if it were our own. But true compassion in this context is not just empathy. It's protected by wisdom. And it's this discernment that helps us to stay balanced and centered, like kuan yin, so that we don't fall into empathy burnout or compassion fatigue. And if we are starting to find ourselves overwhelmed by grief, then we might need to really emphasize the relief from suffering, which is also an aspect of compassion. For example, even if it's just an imaginative exercise, we might visualize the person we're working with recovering their health or getting out of debt or finding a better job or becoming involved in a healthy relationship or whatever the antidote to the painful situation might be. Or we might consciously, for a moment, tune into what's going well in their life, even alongside the challenges, because even in the midst of quite serious challenges, if we really look, we can usually find some kind of silver lining we might orient to, something that we might actually appreciate about the person's situation even alongside the distress they're currently experiencing. One of the challenges, one of the other challenges of compassion practice, and especially self-compassion practice, is that, as I mentioned last night, it can bring us into contact with some very deep conditioning, painful self-views, afflictive emotions, all kinds of difficult mind states. So if we do find ourselves coming into contact with some of these deeper, deeply held beliefs or extremely painful emotional patterns, the key is to work with them very, very gradually. So last night I mentioned how common it is for people to sort of flip between two extremes in relation to these more deep-seated conditioning. One is just to habitually ignore, deny, repress, avoid, not allow the awareness to go anywhere near the painful pattern. And the other is to push ourselves to drill down into it, into our most excruciating trauma and stay there. Because in that view, anything less than that is somehow cheating. But this is just another symptom of the same painful pattern. So before we go into some actual compassion practice, I'd like to offer just a few suggestions for working with these more deep-rooted emotional and afflictive patterns based on some things I've uh, explored in my own practice. And the first thing we want to keep in mind is that we're trying to stay in balance With them. We're trying to stay in our window of tolerance. And throughout his teaching, the Buddha put a lot of emphasis on the famous middle way. So in terms of difficult emotions, we can think of that as the balance between not avoiding and repressing on one hand, but not feeding, indulging in or getting flattened by on the other. And this means we need to listen. ourselves, to pay attention to the context we're in, and to be aware of our current capacity to meet whatever challenges are coming up. And then, if or when the timing feels right, we might choose to take a session of meditation to investigate more deeply, more directly, what might be underneath these recurrent afflictive states. And there are a couple of cautions here. If the emotions are very intense or perhaps in the region of trauma, we definitely want to touch into them in very small doses, just enough to metaphorically strengthen the emotional immune system without overwhelming it. And often what we notice when we do touch into some kind of painful emotion Is the first response in the body is usually to contract, to tighten, to tense up, to resist, to brace against it. All of which makes the emotion feel even more unpleasant. So to try to avoid adding the second dart that the Buddha kept speaking of. In my own practice, I've used a, a mantra from the Zen teacher, Charlotte Joko Beck. And she talked about the need to create a bigger container or A-B-C for short. So this mantra of A-B-C, create a bigger container. And it needs to be really short because when we're gripped by something painful, something as simple as A-B-C is about all we have a hope of being able to remember. So A-B-C, make space. Make space around the, the challenge in whatever way we can. So making space in the body is the invitation to soothe that contracting energy. So if we notice the jaw clenching or the shoulders hunching or the fists tightening or the body curling in, you might breathe and sit up a little taller and straighter and reconnect with that balanced, stable posture that I've been emphasizing in all of the instructions we might open the chest, open the shoulders, and if it's really intense, open the eyes so that we're connecting to the, visually to the space of the room and making more space not only within our body but taking in the space of the environment as well. And if that doesn't feel like enough, we can look out of the window. Or if we're outside, we can look at the sky and connect to the vastness of the sky So anything that helps us take us out of that small, shrunken, contracted state and to see the bigger picture and to feel that sense of spaciousness. The analogy that's sometimes used is it's a bit like if there's a wild horse in a small corral and it bucks and kicks and goes crazy and its energy is very intense, But if we let that wild horse out into a bigger field, a bigger pasture, technically the energy is the same, but the impact of it is much less because it's held in a different context. It's held in more space. So A, B, C, create a bigger container, make more space. Let that wild horse play in a bigger meadow. And if we do have a sense that we're beginning to get lost in the emotion, then a second strategy is what is sometimes referred to as touch and go. So we might touch in to the emotion, feeling it in the body for just a few moments, and then consciously, deliberately go. And this involves metaphorically or literally moving the attention elsewhere. So go might literally mean going away and doing something different, preferably something that is pleasant or nourishing, soothing, restorative. Or if that's not possible for some reason, then intentionally moving the attention away from the painful reaction by tuning into whatever pleasant states might be available in the body or the senses. That's one reason I've been inviting us to really pay attention to feeling tone, to uh, sensations in the body. So if we pay attention, even when we are might be caught in some afflictive emotion, we might still be able to notice the softness of the shawl around the neck or the gentle contact of the hands on the legs or the support of the cushion beneath the sitting bone. So anything that's either slightly pleasant or neutral, let the attention move to that. And again, this is not cheating if we're doing it with full awareness. It's very different than if the minute we feel some kind of afflictive emotion, we just kind of go, la, 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 la. Okay, I'm going to go and have a cup of tea now. And then we just unconsciously avoid. But if we, on the other hand, are sitting, we feel an afflictive emotion, we stay with it for a while and then we recognize it's starting to pull me down, okay, we might literally or metaphorically bow to it and then make a conscious decision to do something different. So this is a way of what's called titrating the dose of our exposure to what's painful. And titrating is a medical term. It's about getting exactly the right dose of a medicine So if we don't have enough, it's not going to do anything. If we have too much, it can be toxic. So when working with difficult emotions, and again, I'm talking about those more compacted, contracted, intense, deeply conditioned emotions, we might need to let them in in what my friend calls homeopathic doses of reality. So very small And one way we can make sure the dose stays small is by literally setting time limits in our exposure to it. So we might decide if, for example, shame is coming up a lot, we might say, okay, set a timer for 30 seconds, not here in the hall, but if you're in your room or at home, set the timer for 30 seconds and make a determination to stay with that feeling in the body, in the heart as much as possible. And as much as possible, staying out of the head, staying out of the intellect, staying out of the stories and the narrative, keeping the energy and awareness in the body. And then when the timer has gone off, then we can go, go and do something different. So this is also what I call taking a strategic withdrawal so again, it's not cheating if we're doing it with full awareness and in the service of staying in balance. And then finally, coming to self-compassion. Again, as I said last night, this uh, for some people is a very challenging practice and we might encounter all kinds of resistance and defenses against it. So sometimes using phrases, doing a formal compassion practice might be too intense in the beginning, and so our self-compassion might be as simple as just for a moment bringing a hand to the heart and feeling our own vulnerable heart and flashing on a moment of kindness and care, compassion, but not um, pushing ourselves to try and do it engage with it more formally. So as I've been emphasizing, all the things we're doing here are templates that you're invited to customize to suit your own current situation. And again, remembering that training slogan, if it's in the way, it is the way, then all of these challenges can actually become supports for the practice. Because if we didn't have these challenges, we wouldn't... Have the opportunity to cultivate skillful qualities like courage and compassion and kindness and equanimity and so on. And then lastly, when the challenging situation has reduced to whatever degree it can, remembering Gil's invitation to really appreciate that. This is often where we, what we don't remember to do, because of our bias towards seeing what's painful and afflictive and so on, we forget to even notice when we're free of those afflictive states. So as the practice matures, we definitely want to be paying attention to the absence of these painful states and to really let in times of ease and happiness and peace and freedom, even if it's just for a few seconds at a time allowing ourselves to abide in those skillful states. So we're going to be practicing soon a fairly short guided compassion meditation. And in the service of listening to yourself and to your own practice, it's possible that for you right now, doing some compassion practice is the last thing that you feel might be supportive for your practice. So this is completely optional. If you feel like it will be more of service to go and do some walking or practice in your room or do some other kind of practice, that's fine. You're welcome to uh, go and do that. If you'd like to stay, we're going to be using phrases, using the kind of phrases that I offered last night. I'm aware of your pain. I care about your pain. May your pain release. May you know peace. And remembering that pain here is not only physical pain, but any kind of emotional or life pain. And we're going to be using the more traditional reciting phrases method for this time, not so much a benefactor, but a good friend, someone you feel close to, someone you feel warmth for, who currently has some kind of challenge in their life. And again, because this is a gradual training, I encourage you to pick a situation that's not the most intense. So on the famous scale of zero to ten, preferably not picking somebody who's just got a life-threatening diagnosis or going through a horrendous separation, so on. So choose something that's a five or less so that we can gradually strengthen this compassion muscle. Any questions before we start? Okay.